It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hi friends, would you like to hear an amazing fact? With the recent scientific advancements in DNA and genetic research, more and more people are discovering the surprising details of their ancestry. Nearly 30 million people have spent about $100 to learn the origin of their ancestors and to identify potential health risks. Furthermore, using DNA, several scientific teams, including National Geographic, have mapped the migration of mankind around the globe. Evolutionists have been stunned by reports that reveal human history is much more recent than they expected and springs from either Eastern Africa or Mesopotamia. Another fascinating DNA genetic study from the Rockefeller University and the University of Basel, Switzerland, reveal that all humans are descendants of one solitary pair of humans. That's right. They determine all humans descended from one original couple. Additionally, they concluded our communal mom and dad got together after a catastrophic event that nearly wiped out the human race. In the same report, the researchers studied the DNA of 5 million humans and animals. They discovered that 9 out of every 10 animals come from the same original parents. It sounds as though science could finally be catching up with the Bible. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more as Amazing Facts brings you this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And if you have a Bible question, then please pick up your phone and give us a call. Exciting time for us to network together talking about the Word of God. That number is 800-463-7297. If it's easier, you can remember 800-GOD-SAYS. That's 800-463-7297. I'm Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross, and good evening, friends. And Pastor Doug, let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that we're able to open up your word this evening and study, and we ask your blessing upon this program, wherever the folks might be who are listening. Be with us here in the studio as well. Lead us, Lord, into a clearer and full understanding of what the Bible says. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, you open up the program talking about something that, well, the Bible talks about it, that all um, mankind, hum- humanity, came from uh, a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. Now, of course, the scientific research doesn't give us a name, but they do tell us it looks like all human beings, according to their genetic research, came from one man and one woman. Yeah, and you know what was interesting is initially we would think, well, that must be Adam and Eve, but then they said one man and woman that following a catastrophic event. I don't know how they determined that, but it would also be true then of Adam and his, or rather Noah and his wife. And they said that, you know, they're, they're looking back at the evidence geologically also of the catastrophe. And they were shocked at how recent it is. You know, they thought that, you know, the first humans showed up about a million, million and a half years ago. 
Now they're coming up with numbers at uh, 60,000 years. Now, I don't believe it's that long. I'm just saying they were shocked. They just carved 900,000 years off their estimates. They thought, wow, how could we be that wrong? Of course, we know that uh, if they keep studying, they're going to find out it's even shorter than that. We have a free offer if people want to know something about what the Bible says about creation and science support of that. Our book, our free offer this evening, is called How Evolution Flunked the Science Test. And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. You can ask for the book about How Evolution Flunked the Science Test. The number to call is 800-835-6747. That is the resource phone line. You can just ask for our free offer tonight, How Evolution Flunked the Science Test. If you have a Bible question, we have phone lines open. The number to call is 800-463-7297. And we'll be happy to get your program, your call on the program tonight. Yeah, and we should mention that we are streaming on Facebook. I think I failed to tell you that. So you can not only listen to the program, but during this time when so many people are hibernating at home, you can say hi to us. We'll say hi back. And you'll see I'm wearing a jacket. That's because it, despite what the song says, it does rain in California. <laughs> uh, Pastor Ross, so he... He's got, polar bear. <laughs> He's got a polar bear uh, f- physiology. He doesn't get cold. <laughs> so, all right, with that, maybe we should go to the phones, Pastor Ross. All right, we've got Charles listening in Florida. Charles, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Pastor Ross, Pastor Doug. Um, my question tonight is with the, um, with the whole thing with the Pope being in the news about him wanting to become, you know, president of the world, is, is there a chance that, you know, is that like, possibility of Sunday law happening and is it possible in the next year or so? Well, I, I think I've seen snippets that have floated around on the internet. You know, world leaders are saying we sort of need some kind of centralized governing body to orchestrate and, and I've seen the Pope's name show up a few times. I don't know that the Pope's got any plans right now of being the president of the world. Been in the news a lot, but one thing I think is interesting is that people around the world, and I'm collecting, I may do a program on this this week, I'm collecting a series of quotes and newspaper headlines and world leaders that are saying, in light of what's happened with this international shutdown, maybe, maybe they say either God or Mother Nature is trying to tell us that we need to start giving the planet a rest once a week. So I think that's interesting. Both, I've seen it in Jewish papers, uh, two, at least two Jewish journals are saying the world is crying out for a Sabbath. Prime Minister of Quebec and mayors and different people and religious organizations and pastors are saying, oh look, you know, the air is cleaner, the water is cleaner, families are spending time together, maybe we should start uh, taking a day off. Some are using the word Sunday laws, actually, and these are you know, mainline papers. BBC and all kinds of people are, are talking about the environment, how it's gotten better. And I think this is very interesting. Who knows exactly how this is going to play out? Jesus said prophecy is best understood looking backwards. He said, when these things come to pass, then you will know. So we're going to pray and wait and watch. That's right. We do have a study guide talking about the United States in Bible prophecy. Kind of ties in a little bit with this and uh, the religious connection there. And we'll be happy to send this study guide to anyone who just call and ask. The number again for our free resource is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the Amazing Facts Study Guide called The United States in Bible Prophecy. Jackie's listening from California. Jackie, welcome to the program. 
Hi, good evening, Pastors. Evening. Um, my question was regarding Matthew twenty five thirty seven, where it sounds like Jesus is talking about ministering to others. I was just wondering, um, is it worth participating in a community service project or volunteering if, you know, for a fact you're not going to be allowed to talk about the gospel? Um, if they restrict you, they don't allow you to about Great question. You know, sometimes, and Jackie's asking a very valid question, sometimes there are community service programs where you can get together and work with others in the community to do something for common good. But because it's sponsored by the local government, they don't want you using it to proselytize or to share your faith. Now, that actually, those laws vary a little bit from state to state. But whether or not you're able to directly preach when you're involved in doing something that is beneficial for the community, I think that Christians sometimes should be helpful just for the sake of being helpful, even though it may not be a platform for sharing your faith. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I, over the years, have picked up a lot of hitchhikers because I used to hitchhike a lot. And I pick them up and I think, oh, okay, I, this guy's on this long road. I'll have a chance to do a gospel presentation. And I caught myself one time seeing a guy hitchhiking, and I thought, oh, he's going to this next town. He held up a sign that said Willits, which was just in two miles away or whatever. I said, oh, it's not going to be enough time for me to give him a gospel presentation, so why will I pick him up? <laughs> and then I thought, well, Doug, maybe he just needs a ride. He doesn't need you to preach to him. So I think that the Lord wants us to, to help give, he says, expecting nothing in return. And you always want to get involved if you can share your faith, but even if you can't, do good whenever it's in the, your power to do it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your call, Jackie. We've got Guy listening from Ohio. Guy, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastors Ross and Pastor Doug. Um, my question is, uh, is there Bible scripture that supports Saturday um, as being the same Sabbath day that Jesus himself worshipped on since Jesus was Jewish and uh, he used the Hebrew calendar, I would assume, which was... Uh, the lunisolar calendar at that time, and how does the new moon that is mentioned in Scripture relate to the Sabbath? I know that the new moon is related to the feast days, but does it relate to the biblical seventh-day Sabbath at all, the Sabbath of creation? Okay, fair enough. Let, let me start with your first question. I think we can know with great certainty the days of the week when, uh, what's the Sabbath now? So what we call Saturday now is the seventh day of the week. What we call Sunday is the first day of the week. It says very clearly in the Bible that Jesus rose the first day. Now keep in mind, you do not find the Roman names anywhere in the Bible. The, the Bible does not call it Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It calls it first day, second day, third day. Friday was called the preparation day. And they say Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus rose. Uh, the Jews are still celebrating the seventh day of the week, which is what we call Saturday and Muslims know what day Friday is. So all of the major faiths in the world know that the days have not changed since, you know, before the Christian era. And if you look in the dictionary, first day, it'll say Sunday, or encyclopedia. The seventh day, it'll say Saturday. You can look in the Bible. It tells us, for instance, in Luke chapter uh, 23, and you can go to uh, verse 55, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested the Sabbath according to the commandment. Jesus was, he had the Last Supper, what we would call Thursday night, and that was a Passover meal. And then he 
died Friday. You could say he even rested in the tomb through the Sabbath. He rose Sunday morning, the first day of the week, to continue his work as our high priest, uh, mediating before the Father. So there's no question about that. As far as the new moon, the new moons didn't always line up with the week because the lunar cycle is a little different than the seven-day week cycle. The Sabbath is governed by the weekly cycle and not by the lunar cycle. The lunar cycle was for the months. Now, when you had a, a particular feast day, sometimes we refer to it as a Sabbath as well, when one of those feast days based upon the moon and the cycle of the moon fell on, it could be any day of the week, it could be a Wednesday or a Thursday, it would be considered a Sabbath. When those uh, ceremonial Sabbaths fell on the seventh-day Sabbath, that's what the Jews refer to as a high Sabbath. But the seventh-day Sabbath was always there, never changed. Right, and even in the Gospel of John, I think it calls the Passover Sabbath when Jesus died. He refers to it as that Sabbath was a high Sabbath. Hope that helps a little bit, Guy. We appreciate your, uh, your question. You know, we do have a study guide uh, talking about the Sabbath. It's called The Last Day of History, and we'll be happy to send that to anyone who asks. The number is 800-835-6747. Ask for the study guide called The Last Day of History, and we'll send that right out to you. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Would you like to know God's plan for our broken world as revealed in Bible prophecy? Want practical, trusted solutions for your biggest challenges? Freshly updated and redesigned, Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides provide 27 Bible-based topical lessons with beautiful graphics and straightforward answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand. Each study guide leads you step-by-step to real, relevant Bible answers for the most important questions in your life. How can I have better health and relationships? When and how will Jesus come again? And so much more. Don't leave the future to chance. Transform your life with truths from the Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides. Order your complete set today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. We've got Renee listening in New Jersey. Renee, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you, pastors. My question is uh, exactly what was what Jesus meant when he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Was he asking not to die or what was he asking? And can and about having to go to hell for three days, something like that, can that be scripturally founded? So those are my two questions. Good questions. All right, let's start with the cup. Why did Jesus refer to this cup of suffering that he said, Father, let this cup pass for me? At one time, James and John with their mother, one gospel says they came, another time it says they came with their mother. She said, when you enter in your glory, let my son sit on the right and left. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? He said, oh yeah, Lord, we're able. Well, drinking a cup in the Bible often meant that that you had to swallow something that was bitter. It it meant that you're going to go through a a very difficult experience. It was a figure of speech. Like if you're cornered, you might say, I'm up against the wall in, in English. Well, you may not literally be up against the wall, but Jesus was really taking the sins of the world, this cup of suffering 
that he was going to drink. And I think you find, I, I didn't do a search, but there's probably other places in the Bible where it talks about a cup. The Bible talks about the wine of God's wrath. Revelation, that woman has got a cup where she's making the nations drunk. It's a false teaching. You also, you have the cup of salvation that the Bible refers to. Yeah. And even Jesus, when he had the last supper, he hands a cup to the disciples and says, this is my blood. So it meant you are receiving something. And for the disciples drinking the cup of grape juice, they were receiving the salvation from the blood of Jesus. Jesus receiving the cup of suffering from the father. He was taking on the sins of the world. Your other question was about the preaching to the spirits in, in prison. Oh, yeah, yeah, the three days. Well, you know, it doesn't really say in the Bible that Jesus went to hell for three days. This is from Second uh, Peter, I believe it is. First uh, Peter 3.18. Sorry, First Peter 3.18. You want to read that, Pastor Russ? Yeah, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in that few that his eight souls were saved through water. Yeah, so here it's talking about that when, when Jesus died, you know, it says very clearly he was dead. He did not rise again until Sunday morning. I know it's incomprehensible for us how the Son of God could die, but the Bible says Christ died for our sins. When it talks about by which spirit he preached to those in prison, he is referring to the story of Noah. And if you look in Genesis chapter six, it tells us, I believe in verse three, that God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. So it was through the same spirit that raised Jesus that God preached to people back in the days of Noah. It says those spirits in prison, talking about people who are imprisoned by sin. So Jesus did not go to hell and preach to give people a second chance. The word hell is the same as the word grave in the Bible. You know, we have that lesson on, are the dead really dead? And yes. that may help Renee. Yes, one of the amazing facts study guides, and uh, it's just simply called, are the dead really dead? We'll be happy to send this to, uh, to you, Renee, or anyone who would like to receive it. The number to call for that is uh, 800-835-6747. Ask for the study guide. It's called, are the dead really dead? Leon is listening from Idaho. Leon, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Pastor Sean and Pastor Doug. Uh, I have a question concerning John uh, 16, verse 2, Jesus speaking, and then also Revelation 13, 15. And the first part of uh, John 16, 2, Jesus said, the day will come when I'll put you out of the synagogues. And in a sense, I'm wondering, you know, if this... Uh, virus problem and no groups over 10 can meet together and all the churches being closed if that is possibly a fulfillment of that part of that text well let's deal with that first i do not think that the government officials around the world asking people to refrain from meeting in groups including church it's not just that they're isolating churches neither are they isolating christians or any one denomination doesn't matter if you're muslim jew christian or you're at the moose lodge they, they don't want people getting in groups so i don't see this p as part of that what what i do think is interesting though it does create a precedent where the government does say do not meet in churches and so it sort of has created a mindset among christians that Wow, look how quickly your freedoms can be taken away by a government uh, mandate. So that, I think, is something that we'll, we should always kind of look at with a little bit of uh, guardedness. 
And then you had a question. Well, we're going to put your volume back up. You had a question on Revelation, you said? Uh, well, how the second part of John 16, 2 deals where Jesus said the day will come when whoever kills you will think that they're doing God's service. And then I'm wondering if that uh, uh, relates to the Revelation 13:15, where it talks about anybody who doesn't worship the beast and his image and obey that or, you know, worship obedience about the same thing uh, should be killed. And so I'm wondering if uh, that is a fulfillment also of John 16 to the latter part. I think you're right on target there, because when he says those who kill you will think they're serving God in John 16, in Revelation, it's those who, who do not worship the image of the beast. Some people worshiping the image of the beast sincerely believe that they are serving God. So yes, in the last days when the beast power is compelling worship, I think the only way he's going to be able to get almost universal support is there going to be a lot of sincere people? You know, there's a time when Paul, so Jesus, even in John 16, he's foretelling what Paul did. Paul thought he was serving God when he was killing Christians. Uh, so it's happened several times in history. You know, we do have a study guide called The Mark of the Beast. Gets right into Revelation chapter 13, and we'll explain this uh, passage of Scripture. We'll send it to you. Just call 800-835-6747 and ask for the study guide. It's called The Mark of the Beast, and uh, we'll get it to you. You can read it at the Amazing Facts website if you like. You can just go to the website, amazingfacts.org. Sign up for the free online Bible course. Next caller that we have is Wesley listening in British Columbia. Wesley, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Hi, how's it going? Doing well. Thank you. Wondering if, uh, what the Bible's stance is on working under the table, or shall I say, uh, tax-free. Yeah, well, the Bible stance is that believers ought to obey the laws of the land, and even though some of the government laws are, are outrageous, it never looks good if a Christian ends up in the uh, newspaper because they're arrested for tax evasion. It's not a great witness. You know, every now and then you might stop and buy some strawberries on the side of the road, and you won't ask the guy if he's got a business license. But I think that as a principle, Christians want to obey the laws. Paul said, uh, render to Caesar, or even Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, uh, even if Caesar's sometimes unfair. Right. <laughs> so that's a good question. Yeah, but we want to be, you want to be law-abiding citizens. Now, if the government ever asks you to violate a biblical principle, then you should obey God rather than man. Thank you for your call, Wes. And we're going to go to Chris, who is in Nebraska. Chris, welcome to the program. Hi. Good evening. Hi. Thanks for calling. Um, my question was uh, referring to Daniel 12 on verse 12 about the 1335. And I was wondering, uh, where do you, where shall you place that? Yeah, Daniel 12 is a is a very intriguing chapter in the Bible. We get a lot of questions on this because you have more time prophecies in that one chapter than any other chapter in the Bible. And you've got three time periods. There's a 1260, there's a 1290, and there's a 1335. It says days, but in Bible prophecy, a day equals a year. The way this works out, you know, it's kind of hard to fit this into three minutes this is outlining a time of persecution for God's people. It also outlines the birth of a revival movement near the end of time. It's talking about the abomination that makes it desolate that most Protestants thought was the Roman power. We agree with that. That just became a persecuting power during the Dark Ages. And that really began politically in 508. 
It began when they got military power in 538, which is 30 years later. That reaches to 1798 and 1843. I know that's going to probably seem garbled. You know, I wish we had a chart or something we could send you on that. Well, you know, we do have a study guide called Right on Time that I think uh, deals with this Daniel chapter 9. Is the 508 in there? I'm not sure, but it's it's got most of it in there because it comes from the Revelation perspective. I'm not sure if that's in there. Yep. If you'd like to receive that study guide, the number to call is, again, our resource line, 800-835-6747. You can ask for the study guide called Right on Time, talking about these uh, time prophecies that we find in Daniel. Thank you for your call, Chris. We've got uh, Katie listening in Maryland. Katie, welcome to the program. Hello, pastors. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to you guys the past couple of weeks, so thank you for hosting these. Absolutely. All right. So my question revolves around uh, Matthew twenty four twenty nine and Mark thirteen twenty four and twenty five. That's when Christ gives some signs for his return, and those include um, the sun being darkened, the moon not giving light, the stars falling, and a great earthquake. Um, I know that these events occurred between you know seventeen fifty five and eighteen thirty three. My question is: Is there any indication uh, that this is a dual prophecy, and that we can expect to see these events happen again? Yes. So for our friends who are listening, Jesus gives some signs where he talks about the second coming and he talks about the the sun being dark and the moon turning to blood, the stars falling from heaven and a great earthquake as well. There, all of these things have been seen historically if from, was it 1733 to 18? Yeah, 1830, May 19, 18, oh, sorry, 1780. I got it backward. Yes. Lisbon earthquake was first. Then the dark day was May 19780 and then the falling of the stars was 1833 right. that was November 13 and even Abraham Lincoln commented on that some so many people thought that the world was ending it's the biggest they called it the Leonoid meteor shower it was the biggest meteor shower in history and it you could read a newspaper from the shooting stars for hours it was like a blizzard so these things happened historically, showing us we're entering the last days. But I do believe they happen in quick succession. In Revelation, what chapter, is that chapter 16, where it says the sun and stars fall and as a fig tree and the heavens depart as a scroll? Revelation 6, mm-hmm. under the sixth plague, yeah. uh, sixth yeah. seal. Yes. Yeah, so those things happen again in quick succession right at the coming of the Lord, Katie. And you'll find that, and Pastor Ross is looking it up, Revelation chapter 6. I was saying 16 because I'm a little, uh, what do they call that, listexic? <laughs> that is uh, verse 12, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Yeah, yeah. I think you're going to see the heavens. And then we read in, is it in Luke chapter 21, he said there'll be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, not only historically, but I think they'll happen in quick succession just prior to the second coming. All right, you know what, uh, Pastor Ross, our engineer's telling us that probably not fair to take another caller before our break. We need to have a break at the bottom of the hour. Please do not go away. Great time for God's people to come together and turn to the Word of God and find out what in the world is going on and uh, some of heaven's insights on these things from God's Word. So once again, you want to call in with a question, 800-463-7297. And we'll be back in just a couple of moments. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. A beast, a dragon, and a woman. They sound like the characters in a fairy tale, but nothing could be further from the truth. 
These three symbolic end-time players are actually found in the book of Revelation, whose predictions about the last days are not exactly a bedtime story. But there is a book called The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, and it's a daring and concise overview of the Bible's most compelling and perplexing end-time players, and it tells about the struggle between truth and error. You'll even find out the part that America plays in these last days. If you want to be ready for the earth-shaking events yet to come, then make sure and get your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman today. To order your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Don't be caught unprepared for the final events of Bible prophecy. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome, listening friends. Uh, back to Bible Answers Live. If you've joined us along the way, you just call in with your Bible question. We get calls from around the country, land-based, stations, satellite, internet, around the world. And you can call 800-463-7297 with your questions. I'm Doug Batchelor. My name is Jean Ross, and we got the phone lines light up, so we'll go to our next caller. We have Lewis listening from, was it Lewis listening from California. Lewis, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you guys for answering my call. Um, I had a question that deals with the subject of being forgiven. And my question is, well, I know that the basic means of salvation is that first you confess your sins to God, then you repent and you ask for forgiveness, and then you accept by faith that you are indeed forgiven by God. Now, uh, my question is, what do we do for actions we've taken in the past that we're not sure if they constitute as a sin or not? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is truly convicting you and that we're not just being led by our own suppositions or we're overthinking it. Well, first of all, the Word of God is a great place to know. Uh, the Bible gives us some pretty basic guidelines on what is sin in the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, though, you know, they're, they're more comprehensive than most people understand. 
And Jesus said it's not just the act of adultery, it's you know impurity in the mind and the heart. It's not just uh, using God's name in vain. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's not just literally murdering people. He said, you know, don't have anger in your heart towards your brother. Jesus not only showed the actions of the law, he showed the attitudes, but God is not going to try to catch you with some unconfessed sin that you didn't know was a sin. Just pray. You know, there's a prayer in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 24, David is saying, and see if there are any, search me, try me, see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So Lord, if you just pray and say, Lord, you know, show me my sins. If there's something that I'm not aware of, I pray the Holy Spirit will reveal that and I will repent and confess and forsake that sin. And God will reveal it to you. I've, I've done that before and, and he surprised me. <laughs> so if you really want to know, then, and if you're willing to do his will, that's what God wants more than anything, your heart. If you're willing to do his will, he's not going to try to catch you in some unknown, unforsaken sin or unknown and unconfessed sin. And sin is not just um, doing evil. Sin is knowing to do good and not doing it. There will be people in heaven that smoke cigars. Uh, I think the guy who wrote Amazing Grace smoked tobacco until the day he died, but doctors recommended it back then. He didn't know. If I take up the Piper cigars, I don't think I'm going to make it because I know it's like slow suicide. Just say, Lord, show me. And you, if you take the steps that God is calling you to, stay, uh, to take when you're convicted of some sin, he'll reveal that to you. We've got a book on how to live a victorious life. And I'm thinking of, is it possible to live without sinning? And that sometimes, like I said, this title scares people, but it's really a good book. It is a good book. And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The book is called... Is it possible to live without sinning? Giving you some practical uh, Bible verses that you can apply to different situations. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who asks. The number is 800-835-6747. Luisa is listening in San Diego. Luisa, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. And God bless your ministries. Um, I was reading in the New Testament about Jesus coming back and he had something written on his thigh, and it kind of confused me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Yeah. What's up with the tattoo on Jesus' thigh, anyway? Well, yeah, you know, there's several people that, and you're correct, in Leviticus, I forget what verse it is, it says, uh, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh or tattoos. So you're right, the Bible says people should not be tattooing themselves. Then why does it say that the Lord has got a statement written on his thigh, and that's Matthew 18. Is it the word of God? In uh, Revelation 19 talks about Jesus coming. He has written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, probably, Pastor, just to add to that, when you say thigh, it's not talking about on the skin, but uh, written on his garment. He's coming wearing a kingly robe, yeah. and it's King of kings and Lord of lords. It's uh, The thigh represents victory, power, strength. So it's it's a symbolic term that we find. Revelation is full of t symbolism. By the way, in Revelation 19, the second coming, Jesus described as coming on a white horse. Yeah, they used to have a strange custom. If you read Abraham's servant, when he went to find a wife for Isaac, Abraham said, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me. And it meant that you were resting on a person's promise. So when Jesus comes and it says word of God, it means I'm keeping the promises of God. 
So hope that helps a little bit, Louisa. You know, you'd really enjoy the Amazing Facts Bible Study course that you can find at our website, which is simply amazingfacts.org. Free Bible study course that would uh, take you through some of those verses. Next caller that we have is calling from New Jersey. Beckham, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you guys? Good to be on the air. All right. Um, in Matthew nineteen twenty-three, verse 24, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man into heaven. My question is, who would he be talking about in modern-day society? Well, I think he's talking about everybody, uh, anyone that trusts in wealth that doesn't feel their need. Uh, you know, money sometimes has power with it. Power has a tendency to corrupt people. Power can lead a person to money, can you know, lead a person to pride, and nothing makes us more like the devil than pride. The idea of what wealth can do to people is dangerous. You know, there's another cross-reference for this verse, and you can find it in Mark chapter 10, and it's verse 24, where uh, the disciples, after Jesus said that, they, they were astonished, and they said, Lord, who can be saved? And then Jesus explained, and he said, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So the point being there that they're putting their confidence or their trust in their riches. We can see how quickly riches can vanish away, just <laughs> what's happening right now. We can see how quickly the stock market uh, crashes. Yeah. Unfortunately, money is very necessary in this life. Yeah, and it's not a sin to have money. Uh, you have, a matter of fact, after Jesus shares this, this verse, when you're in Luke, he says this in Luke chapter 18, and then you get to Luke 19, he talks about a very rich man who gets saved. His name is Zacchaeus. And Nicodemus, the man that Jesus spoke to when John, you know, he says John 3.16, he was very wealthy. And Joseph of Arimathea that brought Jesus off the cross and bought his gravesite. It says Christ made his grave with the rich in his death. Then you got Job and Abraham and David and many others. But there's dangers with wealth that people will trust in it. And the Bible says in Proverbs, he that hasteth to be rich will not be without sin. So, yeah, people should work hard. I like what uh, John Wesley said. Beckham, he said, a Christian ought to earn all he can, save all he can, and give all he can. But our object in life should not be money or trusting in it. Next caller that we have is Rick listening from New Jersey as well. Rick, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I keep hearing during this coronavirus, these uh, different congregations, I'm thinking down in Louisiana, I think there's one in Tampa Bay, having large congregations continue to assemble against the government orders. I think that, I think it's a bad testimony to the world that they're doing this. And I think it's unbiblical in the fact that they're defying the government. How do, how do you guys feel about that, Pastor Doug, Pastor Rich? Well, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I agree. You know, I don't want to I don't want to judge a person because you never know exactly what their convictions are. But personally, I think it's unwise when they say that, oh, you know, we're doing this by faith. Well, Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord, you know. And so for a person to say, I'm going to show I've got faith by mingling in a culture where we know very well that you're putting people at unnecessary risk and some may get sick and actually die from it. No one knows exactly what those percentages are right now, but anywhere from one-tenth of one percent to one percent of people that are exposed 
they could die from it. If the government was saying churches never meet again, that'd be one thing. If they're saying if you could restrain from meeting together and instead meet online for a few weeks or a month until we get through this, I don't think it's a denial of faith for Christians to accommodate for health reasons. You know, even in the Bible, in Leviticus 13 and other places, it talks about sanitation, that they, if a person was sick or they had leprosy, they would isolate. And right now there's this unseen bug going around. So let me give you one more perspective on this since you asked. Some of these pastors, now Pastor Ross and I, we work with a church denomination where all the pastors are on a flat salary. It doesn't matter if you've got a church with 100 members or if you've got a church with 1,000 members. They all get paid basically the same thing. Whether the congregation meets or not does not affect our salary. Whether we preach the truth or not does not affect our salary. In other words, some pastors are tempted to accommodate uh, sin in their congregation because those sinners are paying the offering and the plate. Some of these churches that are encouraging people, you need to keep meeting, those pastors don't get paid if that church doesn't come together or they don't get paid as much anyway. Mm -hmm. And so there's something else happening here in some, some denominations the pastors are paid week by week in what comes in the offering and it represents great risk for them. And I think some of them are putting their own personal gain ahead of the congregation's health. Not all, but some. So thanks, good question. I appreciate that, Rick. We've got Ron listening in Washington. Ron, welcome to the program. Hi. Hey, thank you for calling. Yeah, my question is, uh, are God inflicting or God allowing? Well, when it comes to the plague? Well, for instance, yeah, the plagues in Egypt, God warned Pharaoh first. Pharaoh rebelled, so God laid it on him. In the flood, same thing. But in the case of Job, Job had no warning. And, uh, but God allowed it, allowed Satan to inflict Job. Is that kind of a good rule or something that God will warn if he's going to do it himself? And how might that relate today? What's what's happening? That's a good question. I'm thinking through it as, as I speak. There's no question that Satan can cause illness. He did in the book of Job, as you mentioned. And then God can also send plague. We read about that in the story of David numbering Israel. It says there was a plague and the angel of the Lord is the one who had the sword that's not the devil. He was taking the sword of judgment through the land that uh, manifested itself in a plague. In the story of David, I don't know that David particularly had warning in advance that this might happen. Good and evil, the, Jesus said God sends the sunshine and the rain on everybody. So there's good and bad things that happen. Sometimes the devil will cause problems and God can turn it out for good. Sometimes the Lord withdraws his protection and allows the enemy to bring sickness. Because, you know, maybe people or a nation or a world is living without God. And so he says, all right, you want to do this on your own. He pulls back his protection, and then you've got evil that follows. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your call, Ron. We've got uh, Claudio listening from Miami, Florida. Claudio, welcome to the program. Uh, hi. Hey, thank you, Claudio. And your question tonight. Uh, my question was, uh, how can I get an alert from the Bible um, from one example, I feel that I'm getting apart from my family and my family is getting apart from, apart from me. Uh, when when we both ways, um, we're feeling angry in different times. How can I approach to them in, in a better times? Good question. You know, I, I can't overstate 
how important it is to pray and for you to say to the Lord what you just shared with us, to you know, get on your knees and humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm feeling that there's a barrier in my family and change my heart if there's anything I can do to be more humble and more like Jesus to get along. Sometimes there's, there's anger and disagreements in families because people have hurt each other and you can't change another person, but all you can do is change yourself and say, if there's something I can apologize for, by all means do it. Even if you're not sure, just say, if I've done anything to hurt you, whether it's your children or your spouse and you know, the Lord wants us to be reconciled. And as we do that, we humble ourselves. God then gives us his spirit. He brings his spirit into the family and it can bring an attitude of reconciliation. You know, I think that's a very important principle, Claudio. So we can then pray together. You know, someone once said the family that prays together stays together. And then, you know, offer to pray with the family members that are having some anger and animosity. All right, good question. Thank you. And we do have a free book we'll send you on the subject of prayer. It's called Teach Us to Pray. And the number to call for that is our resource line, 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book called Teach Us to Pray. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Do you feel as though your world is spiraling out of control? Or perhaps new life challenges are frightening you more than they should? Are you sinking while you're thinking? Excessive worry can consume you eating you from the inside out, resulting in sickness, insomnia, and paralyzing fear. It can also damage relationships, ruin opportunities, and yes, diminish your witness for the gospel. Worry affects everybody differently, but it's all driven by fear. So how can you overcome a world full of reasons to be anxious? I'd like to recommend for you my new book, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. You'll discover a lifeline to victory, a place where you can cast your cares upon Christ and experience a serenity that isn't subject to your circumstances. Get your copy of Pastor Doug's Finding Peace in a World of Worry today. Call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. We have uh, Lily listening from Florida. Lily, welcome to the program. Hi. My question is, which Bible commentaries do you recommend and why? Well, thank you. And Pastor Ross may have a little different answer than me. There's a lot of free Bible commentaries online. Personally, one that I enjoy is called eSword. You can actually download it for free. And whenever you click on a verse, you can download a number of the old, you can download hundreds of commentaries, some you pay for, but I download the free ones. I guess I'm cheap. But I like the old ones that are public domain. And they've got commentators like Matthew Henry, Adam Clark, John Gill, John Wesley, and a number of others. And I love what Matthew Henry just, you know, these these people, I know I'm going to see them in heaven when I read their commentaries. They knew the Word of God. They had no computers back then, and they had vast, vast passages of Scripture memorized. So I like some of the ancient commentaries, and I don't know. And, you know, there's also resources you can have. Uh, we use, I use the uh, Strong's Concordance, where you can actually click on a word in the Bible, and it'll give you the the uh, definition of the Hebrew word, and it'll also show you where else that word has been used. So that's also a free resource that's available that people can use for their Bible study. And even Esword, you can click on the King James, any word, it'll give it to you in Greek and Hebrew. 
And so it works with the strong. So that's, yeah, it's a really great tool. Well, thank you for your call. Our next caller is uh, Emmanuel from Ghana, Africa. Emmanuel, good evening. Good good morning, Pastor Rose and Pastor Doc. Yeah. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> my, my question is, uh, I want to know when probation will close for some people. Because uh, right now, I know we are in the end time and then probation is going on. So I want to know when probation will close. All right. Good question. When does the Bible say probation closes? Now, first of all, the idea of probation closing, some of you might wonder, what does that mean? Well, the whole world has sinned. We're under a death penalty. And it's only by the grace of God that anybody is alive, even the sinners who don't know Jesus, are alive by his grace. Uh, Through the sacrifice of Christ, Jesus bought them probationary time to change their minds and accept him and get a change of heart. But when a person dies, if they die unsaved, their probation closes. Some people, their probation closes. They grieve away the Holy Spirit before they die. In the case of Noah, the ark door was closed seven days before the rain began. They grieved away the Holy Spirit. And those people outside the ark, their probation closed. When King Saul went to the witch of Endor, his probation closed even though he lived, you know, maybe another day before the battle with the Philistines. When Judas walked out of the upper room, it says Satan entered him. Uh, Judas never heard the voice of the Holy Spirit again. He ultimately hung himself. And King Saul, I should add, fell on his sword. There's some cases in the Bible of people that grieved away the Holy Spirit. Their probation closed and the Holy Spirit was withdrawn. When will probation close for the whole world prior to the second coming? Just before the seven plagues are poured out, which I still think we have a little time before that's going to happen because there needs to be a revival in the church. You're going to see a big, what they call Revelation 18, that angel with a loud voice proclaiming the good news around the globe. That still needs to happen. Maybe this virus crisis will be the catalyst for a great revival. Matter of fact, maybe I can mention right now, Pastor Ross, wasn't thinking of it. Here at Amazing Facts, we're going to begin a revival called The New Heart. It'll be streaming from the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, the Amazing Facts Facebook page, beginning April 10. That's next Friday evening, 7 o'clock, and that's Pacific time. Every night through the Easter week, we're going to be meeting at 7 o'clock, be talking about conversion and the new heart. So please join us next Friday night here on this uh, channel. Matter of fact, we may actually stream in the New Heart Revival Series during Bible Answers Live. I'm looking at Pastor Ross. He's going, oh, I didn't know that. That's good. (laughs) But we're going to try and take some questions during that time as well. Yeah, excellent. We're looking forward to it. Again, that's 7 o'clock Pacific time, and it's this coming Friday evening. So if this is maybe a a delayed program that you're listening to, it's going to be on the 10th of April. Through the 18th. 10th through the 18th. So um, also we'll be updating the website with more information and amazing facts that you can learn about. Our next caller that we have is uh, Deontay listening from New York. Deontay, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Um, my question is is regarding the three angels message. Yeah. Um, I noticed that the first angel was given with a loud voice, and the third angel was given with a loud voice, but not the second. Why is that? Man, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Pastor, I was looking at me. You know, I, I was reading uh, oh, this a number of years ago. I was reading the three angels message, and I had the very same question. Why is the first angel speaking with a loud voice, the third speaking with a loud voice. Well, if you look at the second angel's message, it says Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Uh, and then, of course, the third angel talks about the beast and his mark and not worshiping the mark of the beast. 
However, the, the second angel's message about Babylon being fallen is a very important message that must be given. That's why we talk about the fourth angel in Revelation chapter 18. And you mentioned that, Pastor Doug, where an angel is seen coming down from heaven. It says, the earth is illuminated with his glory, and he cries mightily with a loud voice, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. In essence, the same message that the second angel gave. If you look at the three angels' messages, not only do they represent God's last warning message that goes to the world, but it can also represent three phases of um, the movement in the last days. And according to Revelation chapter 3, the church is in a condition of spiritual lukewarmness, you might say, or Laodiceanism, where uh, the message is not being proclaimed as loudly as it should be. And I think that's one of the reasons why the second angel might not be speaking with that loud of a voice. But you do find the message going out later, because the third angel has a loud voice and the fourth angel of Revelation 18 has a loud voice. We do have a study guide talking about the three angels' messages. It's called Angel Messages from Space. And we'll send this to you or anyone who calls and asks. The number to call again is 800-835-6747. 835-6747. Ask for the study guide called the Angel Messages from Space, the three angels' messages. Well, I think we have time for another call. Um, we've got uh, Rhonda. Rhonda, welcome to the program. Hi, good night, everyone. How are you? Evening. And your question? Good afternoon. My question is pertaining to um, Revelation 7, um, verses 4, with the 144,000. Who are the 144,000? Great, Rhonda. Now, let me tell you right now, when we're done answering your question, we're going to offer you a free book that answers that in more detail, because I can only give you a quick answer. You find the 144,000 mentioned really twice in Revelation 7, and if you double seven, it's in Revelation 14. It says that these are 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, Revelation is full of symbolism. They are not necessarily all literal Jews, because in the tribes that are mentioned in Revelation chapter seven, it's got a number of the 10 tribes that were carried off by the Assyrians before Jesus' time, that really don't exist in any purebred manner anymore. So you're not gonna find 12,000 people from the tribe of Manasseh and Issachar and Zebulun. The Bible says if you are Christ and you're Abraham's seed. And so this would include, whether it's a Jew or Gentile, people that believe in Jesus. And the names of the 144,000 actually tell the story in the names that tell the story of the plan of salvation. The 144,000, you know, Jesus had 12 apostles that were filled with the Spirit to proclaim who he was during his first coming. The 144,000 is 12 times 12,000 filled with the Holy Spirit in latter rain power to prepare the world for the second coming. They are a group of people who are leading this great revival, just like the apostles had a work they were leading. They are not the only ones saved. Just like in the upper room, it wasn't just the apostles. There were 120 in the upper room. So there were 10 times more. There's a great multitude that is converted under the influence of the 144,000 that you read about also in Revelation chapter 7. This is a special group doing a great work in the last days, similar to the work of the apostles in leading out in a global proclamation. I'm looking forward to that starting pretty soon. The free book? It's called Who Will Sing the Song? Understanding the 144,000. Great book uh, written by Pastor Doug dealing with the subject, uh, Revelation chapter 7. And we'll send it to anyone who calls and asks. That number again is 800-835-6747. 
Well, thank you very much. You know, it won't be fair to take another caller. And we see Abel and Carlos and Debbie and Robert and Tracy, people who are standing by. If we did not get to your question tonight, uh, God willing, if any of us are still here next week, (laughs) (laughs) I think we will be. uh, We'll be doing another program. Take a look at Amazing Facts website, amazingfacts.org. And you know what? During this time of crisis, don't forget to support the proclamation of the gospel. Just go to Amazing Facts and click donate. God bless. Talk next week. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation of evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Did you enjoy this program? Make sure to tell your family and friends. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.